I'm, I'm representing today, see? Amen. I thought we'd uh, get into the message today, the biblical woman. I've been telling you, I wanted to take time before we get into the actual description of what the biblical woman is, is to present to you what Jesus said about women and how Jesus used them to do great things. And I have done about seven of them. I, I, I call these lessons from the ladies that God uses the humble, one of the lessons from the ladies. There's power in Jesus' touch. Remember the lady with the issue of blood. Uh, rejecting offense, the Syrophoenician woman. Do not slumber the parable of the ten virgins. God is worthy of everything. Amen. The woman with the alabaster box. Jesus, no, Jesus is more valuable than valuables. That's the one with the alabaster box. Worthy of every, everything was the widow's might. Demons are no match for Jesus. Remember, he straightened up that. And today we come to another lesson from the ladies, and it's called Persistent Prayer Works. Persistent Prayer Works. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Then Jesus told his disciple a parable. Now, the benefit you have with this parable is that it's actually described why it is told. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Are you still praying or have you given up? They should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. In other words, this was not a good judge. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. Remember, he wasn't a good judge, so he refused this widow. But finally he said to himself, even if I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with all her coming. You ever have anybody wear you out with all their coming? <laughs> That's all other sermon, isn't it? Um, the Lord said, listen to what the unjust says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen one? In other words, that king was not a loving, good king. I am a loving, good God. Can you imagine how much better I am, I am going to do? And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He says, you've got to persist and you can't give up and God is going to come through for you. But I wonder if anybody's going to hold out. You know, you, we live in this microwave society where in a few minutes we have everything we want sitting in front of us. There's an abomination called instant potatoes. It's an abomination. I used to try to warn Sue when she was directing the daycare here. She brought in potatoes in boxes and mixed them up. I said, I'm pretty sure that's child abuse. <laughs> when someone serves me potatoes, I say, I want to see the peelings. I want to make sure that you cared about me. No instant potatoes. 
just add water. In your life, in your prayer life, that doesn't work so well. There will be times, in fact, I might even go out on this limb and say, the most important things in your life that are accomplished through your life are probably going to be accomplished by persistent prayer that refuse to give up. Not just, oh, Lord, I got this thing I'd like you to do, please, sir. Now, in faith, I'm just going to leave with you and not worry about it anymore. That's probably not going to work. There are going to be things you're going to have to pray about and pray about and press in and hang on to and pray about some more. And then the victory is going to come. My best illustration for this point I used not long ago. So shall I use it again? Risk you saying that I am senile. But to me, the, the thing I always think about on this was my dad. My dad left his faith. He had a big scandal blow up in the church we were attending when I was seven years old. And he got offended and he walked away with his afterburners on, wanted nothing to do with church or, I like the way he used to say, preachers. He saw them all as the enemy, as hypocrites, and then the Lord sort of, as sort of a poke, called his son, his baby boy, to be a preacher. You know, he got at him that way. But for 30 years, I prayed for my dad to come back to Jesus. From the time I was seven to the time I was 37, I prayed for my dad to come back to Jesus. I listened to some of the faith people who told me just to lay him on the altar. Every time I tried to lay him on the altar and walk away, it's like the Lord said, you better go carry him. I don't know who else is going to. If you, if you don't keep carrying him, what's, you know, who else is going to take up the slack? And um, my dad has been with Jesus for 21 years now. And on a regular basis, when we're in Arkansas, uh, visiting family and stuff, right there, Next to the main road, you whip off, you pull up to a cemetery. There's mom's grave and dad's grave. And I never walk up to that grave site because I don't say, thank God I didn't give up. Thank God I didn't give up. For 30 years, I prayed, Lord, please save my dad. Please save, of course, in the south, we call him daddy. Please save my daddy. Please save my daddy. Please help me. And for most of that time, he would, would not listen to a word, I would, especially about the Lord. He was so angry at the whole concept of Jesus and church, and, and he just wouldn't have anything. You could not talk to him about it. But after 30 years, I led him in a sinner's prayer around his kitchen table one night. Jesus told him a parable so that they would always pray and not give up. Have you given up? Is there a situation that is so contrary, so entrenched, so problematic, that you just don't know how it's ever going to turn around? Is there someone that seems like the more you pray for them, the meaner they get? Amen? There are there people entrenched in their disobedience and you just don't know what to do with them? Just keep praying and don't give up. Just keep covering them with prayer. Keep asking God, what do you need to do? How do you put legs on the prayer? You just keep pressing in and pressing in and pressing in. And who's to say that the final day, God will say, see, it worked. Amen. So this parable is told about a woman 
He could have said a man. It's a parable. He, he made up the characters. But it's a woman. And she get, has a message for us. Don't give up. Don't give up on the power of God. Don't give up on the promises of God. And they all said, the second one is spiritual work requires material support. <clears throat> How many of you associate women with money? <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, should I? Well, for some reason, three of these women deal with money. The woman, uh, the, the widow who gave the last penny she had, the woman with the alabaster box, right? And now this woman, these women are going to tell us something. And it seems to me, ladies, I need you to get behind me here. It seems to me that women tend to have Less problem with greed than men do. It seems that way. It seems to me if there is an issue of relationships, even if it's expensive, they go ahead and bite the bullet and, and, and do the... I shouldn't have walked down this path, should I? Don't you know the... Widow, if, if her husband was still alive, he said, you can't give your last penny to the offering. What are you thinking? He said, I'm giving it because God is worth it. The woman with the alabaster box, worth, uh, last week, what did we say, $50,000, more or less in American terms. Can you imagine if she took that from the closet and said, honey, I'm going to go pour this on Jesus' feet and his head. Don't you think he'd have said, what? That's, that is... That's, we can't afford to do that. And now, watch. Uh, so, gentlemen, perhaps one of the lessons our ladies constantly try to tell us is don't be greedy. And all the women said, a few of them said that, not many. Last time I walked out on a limb for you guys. Luke chapter 8, verse 1, after this. After this, after the alabaster box worth $50,000, after that happened, Jesus traveled from town to town and village uh, to, to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. What was he doing? He was, what? This is not a trick question. He was proclaiming the good news I'm going to tell you guys, I'm going to give you a Bible story you have never heard. You've never heard it. When you read it, you go blind to this. You've never seen it either. You never? The 12 were with him, and also the 12 apostles we've heard about. We haven't heard about these women. We completely blew over that. When's the last time you saw... Uh, a Sunday school teacher talking about Jesus and the 12 disciples, and then there was a group of women over to the side. You don't. When you see an illustrated Bible, you never see the apostles, Jesus, and then these women over there. So, wow, think you're here today reading a Bible story that's never been told ever before. Isn't it great? And also some women whom 
he had been who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases mary called magdalene from whom seven demons had come out joanna the wife of cousin uh, the manager of herod's household i mean th- these were some some very well connected women the, these were the upper echelon of women that were were following them or were at least in connection to their their travels and susanna and many others so there is this band of women female disciples if you will and look what they were doing these women were helping to support them out of their means these women were helping to support them out of their means again the widow and her might the woman with the alabaster box of $50,000 worth of perfume you can imagine that that's a lot it doesn't cost that much does it And these women, very influential, highly connected women, are following Jesus and the disciples nearby, and they're taking care of them out of their financial means, out of their material things. You never heard this story before, have you? Because somebody looked around one day and said, Jesus is here on a mission from God the Father. And he has chosen 12 apostles to travel with him and help him with the assignment. And he is mentoring them to carry this on beyond him. But the one thing most people never thought of, there's 13 men here. They got to eat. Somebody's got to buy food. The Bible says that during Jesus' crucifixion, he had a very nice vesture that they did not want to damage. They wanted it off of him because somebody, I suppose, in this group had invested a lot of money in something he was wearing. And their lesson is that when the kingdom of God is being proclaimed, there are material needs that somebody has to take care of. I'm telling you, these women are obsessed with money. Somebody has got to take care of the material needs of the work of the kingdom of God. These women said, we'll do it. We'll do it. We've got the resources. We're going to show up. We're going to take care of it. Jesus preached the gospel. The apostles do what God called you to do what Jesus said. We will take care of the logistics of the material things. You guys just focus on the work of the kingdom of God. You guys all right? And you never heard a sermon about these ladies, have you? Truly. You see, their message to us today is wherever God's work is being done, somebody has got to provide for the material expenses of that ministry. Hello? Did you ever... Walk into your church building and think to yourself for a moment, somebody's got to pay the mortgage. Did you ever think that? Did you ever walk in and say, somebody's got to pay the light bill. Somebody's got to help 
Raise the payroll. There. Somebody's got to do that. Well, bless God, it's not going to be me. They brought it up, not me. Remember that. Yeah. They brought it up. And so the message that these ladies are telling us is that whenever God's work is being done, people have to step up and support it materially. They have to, or it won't get done. I thought I would have my administrative assistant next week call KCP&L, which is something else now. What is it? Evergy. Evergy. I thought I'd have her call them and say, from now on, we're not going to pay our electric bill, but we will pray for you guys. <laughs> and we'll call the gas company and say, we're, say hey, we, we need the gas to heat the place so that we can be warm. But I tell you what, we're not going to give you any money, but we will pray an extra prayer for you people down there at the gas. What do you think they'd do? You see, the vast majority of members who say they have a home church do not support that home church. And about one out of every four church members pays the bill for everybody. About one in four. And I'm wondering how that happens. I'm wondering how it is that we could say, this is my church, but I'm not helping carry the load. Man, I've got McDonald's to get to. I've got video games to buy. You know, I've got stuff I've got to spend on myself. I've got hobbies I've got to finance. Do you know what tickets to a Chief game cost these days? I can't help reach the world for Jesus. I've got stuff I've got to buy. And then there's that awkward silence. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift as soon as you say amen real good. No, with it, say with it then. Do you think that Mary and um, Joanna and, and all these other ladies ever got together after the death, burial, or resurrection, and ascension of Christ? Do you think they ever got together when it was all done and looked at each other and said, Wow, I wish we had that money back. Wow. Do you have any idea what it cost us to pay the bills for 13 men for three years? Do you have any idea how much we put into that? Man, if I had that now, think what I could do. Do you ever think they did that? You know what I think they did? And I can't prove it and you can't prove me wrong, so we can just dance all around it. I think they were proud of it for the rest of their lives. I would have been. I think I would have said, you know, when Jesus was ministering, I was buying the groceries. When Jesus was cold, I bought that vesture. that No one wanted it damaged during the crucifixion because it was such a nice... I, I paid for that. I... I think they celebrated for the rest of their lives what it meant to support the work of the kingdom of God. 
I heard a preacher say one time, and I'm not sure. Again, it's one of those things you can't prove it either way, and I can't either, so let's just dance with it. Um, you know, the Bible says that the in the end of time, there will be uh, weeping in heaven. Jesus walks among the, the people, and he's wiping away their tears in heaven. And we always sing, there will be no tears in there, but the, there's... And he, he made the suggestion, and again, you don't know, I don't know, but maybe, that there may well be tears in heaven when we realize what we wasted on earth. When we stand there and there's all of eternity in front of us and we go, wow, what I could have done had I just had my head on straight. How, how I would have raised my kids. Had I really understood eternity? And, and one thing he says, how I would have spent my money had I really realized that the work of the kingdom was being done. So, if you have a church, whether it's this one or if you're visiting from someplace else, I think the only honorable thing is to take responsibility and say it is my responsibility to help finance the material aspect of that. And they all said, all right, there we go. Now I can move. But it don't get no better. <laughs> now we're going to talk about sexism and racism for a few moments, and then we'll run out of here. Aren't you excited? <clears throat> Number 10, social status means nothing to Jesus. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said, Can I tell you something? You, when you listen to the political discourse in our country, and you see right versus left and all that, we act as if America invented racism. It didn't. It has always been around as long as there have been races. There has been conflict. And I say this very carefully because I know the Jews are God's chosen people, but no group of people on the planet, in my opinion, have struggled with the sin of racism as much as the Jews have, if you, if you look at it. And so when it says a Samaritan woman, you've got a double whammy there. A Samaritan has got a little bit of Jewish blood in them and a whole lot of everything else. They were a mixed race. The Jews were the tribe of Judah. The Samaritans were those ten tribes that went north and mingled with everybody else. They were a mixed race. In fact, the Jews often referred to them as Samaritan dogs. So you don't get that sitting over here in this Western mindset. But when it says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, the Jews are going, what? Jesus spoke to a Samaritan? Jesus spoke to a woman? Wow. That is so defiant of culture. He would never talk to a Samaritan. He would never talk to a woman. What is going on here? Will you give me a drink? Verse 8, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? If you're racist, 
you quietly or maybe not so quietly, you see another race is unclean. You don't want to take food from their hand. It's from the hand of uncleanness. You ask me for a drink? You're going to put in your body something that I have handled. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So John is saying, you guys don't understand how big a deal this was. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who is it that asked you for a drink? You would have asked him and he would give you, would have given you living water. Wow. Do you know what freedom from racism looks like? You want to know? Freedom from racism means race is irrelevant. Jesus is no longer... Look at you guys getting nervous because it's a controversial subject here. Jesus was looking at a woman whom God valued and loved. He did not see a race, maybe not even a gender. When we are free of racism, race becomes irrelevant. doesn't matter what race you are. Very gifted and anointed uh, female preacher who's also African-American. Her name is Sharar. Anybody help me with that one? Tony Evans' daughter. Priscilla Stryer, right. I was listening to her preach the other day, and she said, I want to correct you. I am not a black woman preacher. She said, I am a preacher who happens to be black and happens to be a woman. You see, those things become peripheral when we are, when we are free. When we're free. Some things never change, do they? The Jews were fighting with the Samaritans over race and gender. The Bible says in John four twenty seven, just then his disciples returning were surprised to find him talking to a woman. Our racially aware culture has got it all wrong. Can I talk to you for just a few moments? Maybe just stop preaching and the church of Jesus, Jesus should be walking point on deliverance from these things. And our culture is, it appears to me, I, I can't prove this, but it appears to me is going in the wrong direction. We are more and more divided, more and more separated. We thought, uh, you know, a few years ago we... Uh, elected the first black president. We thought, well, that proves that racism has pretty much been put on a shelf. But eight years later, it seems to me that racism and division is worse than it ever was. And I think the reason that racial tensions can be so high, I'm going to blame it, blame it on the liberals. <laughs> I'm going to blame it on the so-called progressive liberalism because I think in order for racism to die the death that it needs to die, you can't see it as a racial thing. 
racism is not a racial thing. It is a spiritual thing. It's really not about the color of your skin. It's how dark is your heart. You see, someone said the white people committed the sin of slavery. I say, no, 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 no. That's not what happened. Wicked people committed the sin of slavery. It was wicked people. You see, racism is something that people whose heart is dark inflicts on their fellow man. Because when you make it a racial issue, you divide us. Because if you say a person is a racist because he is white or whatever color, there's no repentance for that. I mean, I can't go in the closet and say, Lord, I repent for being white. It can't change that. And the moment it becomes about race, it becomes an unsolvable problem. As long as I understand that racism is like lust, it's like greed, it's like bitterness, it's like rage. It is the sin of a darkened heart. And it must be repented of at the heart level, at the soul level, as long as our culture divides us by all the time telling us this is this and this is this. We will always have tension. But when we start doing it like Jesus did, who just walked up to a person of another race and valued her for who she was. That's when racism, racism died. That's when racism will die. I had a conversation. This is a very complicated subject. I'm trying to be uh, careful that um, I don't get all tang-tongled. I was talking to a British guy not too long ago. I met him in that business transaction, and I noticed he had a British accent. And so I got to talk to him a little bit, and, and we were talking. I thought, oh, he's, you know, that he has a perspective that I don't have. And I was talking to him about, well, what do you think about the American culture? And he said to me something. He said, America has created an unpardonable sin. Slavery is an unpardonable sin. It can never atone for that. And I said, well, then what do we do, nuke ourselves? What, what do we if, if it can never be atoned, and I, and, I, and I said, at that point, I'm thinking, wow, this, this guy, I said, do you understand how this all happened? He said, what do you mean? I said, the first slaves were brought to America in 1619. 1619. They were captured by the Dutch. Did the Dutch commit an unpardonable sin? They were sold to the Brits. And the Brits brought them to North America. Maybe you guys committed the unpardonable sin. Because you see, as long as there have been races, there have been abuses on the basis of race. Did you know that 475 thousand men died in America to overthrow slavery. Almost all of those were white men who said, I will not live in a country where human beings are treated that way. I will die first. 
See, it wasn't white against black. It was evil against light. See? See what I'm saying? It was evil. There was, put this in context, 50-something thousand Americans died in the Korean War. 58,000 Americans died in the Vietnam War. 475,000 Americans from the north. I'm not talking about the south now because they were fighting for it. But I'm talking about 475,000 people stood up and said, we will not tolerate slavery. It is wicked. See? That wasn't a racial thing. It was a spiritual thing. You see, I think that the key to defeating racism is repentance. That's repentance. When a person sees lust in their heart, they should repent, right? When they see greed in their hearts, they should repent. And when they sense racism in their heart, they should repent. And we have to hold the line that it is sin. When we stop attaching race to racism, we can solve the problem. We can solve the problem. When we stop seeing it as one race against another race, and we start seeing it for what it really is, racism is not about the color of your skin. It's about how dark is your heart. How full of sin is your heart? Because God will never allow me to look down upon a person of another race if my heart is right with him. See? He will never allow me to fight against someone just because of the color of their skin if my heart is right with him. So it's really not a racial thing. It's a spiritual thing. The world, is, our culture is, is further and further dividing us and dividing us because they don't understand that the more we talk about, oh, my skin looks different than you, the more divided, the more we encamp, we get entrenched in our, in our little places. You notice that Jesus didn't talk about the woman's race. He didn't talk about her gender. He just went in and embraced her and, and ministered to her and offered her eternal life. There's people of every race that despise racism. And if we can remember that, we can fight together to defeat it. If we start saying those people in that race are racist, and those, then we take away our allegiances, our alliances. Because we can't change the color of our skin, but we can change the color of our heart. Amen? Some of us have fought side by side with whoever would stand with us against the degrading and sinful sin of racism and sexism. I remember one time my wife and I were just getting started in a, in a new pastorate and the church was all kind of up in arms and 
but there was this controversy and and they said, we want to know what you'll do about this if it comes up. It's already come up. It didn't come up a lot, but it had just recently come up. And they said, we have, a, we have had a, a man in our church, a white man, who said when they were baptizing, he said, I want to be baptized before the black people are baptized because I don't want to get in the water after the black people have gotten in the water. We want to know what you would do about that. I said, well, I would tell the guy, get to the end of the line, you're going to be last or I'm not going to baptize you because I have serious doubts about your salvation. I have serious doubts about your salvation. And I stand on that. I used to, at one point, had a worship leader who was black who was married to a Caucasian lady. Early in that environment, one of the families with a long history with the church came up to me and I w- we were new to the church basically said we won't tolerate this having an interracial couple in leadership and you dig your heels in and say you guys need to get saved I'll make any sacrifice I'll fight any battle but at the end of the day I won't yield to that racism in your heart. And I remember, I thought, well, there goes a chunk of people. (laughs) What I remember is that man would get up and minister under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Years later, that family came to me and said, we were wrong, we're sorry. We saw the anointing of God on that family. I apologize for putting you in such a difficult place. Let me tell you something real quickly. One of the devil's favorite techniques is to move the standard beyond your reach to destroy you. And I know you, I've got to explain that. I've found that when the devil wants to destroy me, he will put a standard in front of me that I can't possibly live up to. You need an example, don't you? I remember going through a difficult transition to church one time and, and uh, a lady in the church said to me, she just came to me and she said, I've been praying as to whether or not you're really of God. Me, are you really of God? She said, so I have put a fleece before the Lord and um, if you are truly of God, I want you to tell me what my prayer request is. I'm not going to tell you, you tell me. I said, well, you read my mind, and I'll read yours. And if you can't read my mind, you're of the devil. No, no. Yeah, I said, well, that's the standard. That's the standard, you know. But there will be people who, in your life, who will raise the standard and say, if there's any fault, you are not of God. And there will be a a condemnation. If you ever slip up, Oh, you're not really of God. You're a fake. And so they, they raise the stand. Watch out for those people. They, they look at you. They examine you. They try to find an excuse to write you off as a fake. When they've raised the standard so high that you can't possibly reach it. Now, there's a reason I'm telling you this. I believe that America, with all of its past sins and all of its problems and all of its current sins, 
is the light of the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. No other country in the history of the world has evangelized the world like America has. We are still the foundation of the global outreach to tell the world about Jesus. Some great stuff are going on in Australia, but they can't touch us. Some great stuff's going on in, in, in Latin America, but they can't touch We are the beacon of the world when it comes to Jesus Christ. And you get into the liberty and the freedom and all that stuff. Now, the devil hates America. And he's trying to destroy America. And he has some very strong allies in progressive liberalism. And they've raised the standards so high that we can't possibly live to it. I want you to have never sinned. And the fact that there was this institutional racism for a while means that you must dismantle the whole culture. See, the bar has been set so high that we can't possibly get there because the people who are guilty of those egregious sins are already answering to God for them. We can't answer to God for them. But the progressive movement wants us to say, okay, judge, be judged. And what it is, it is the destruction of the fabric of what it means to be an American. I know we've got problems. I know we export pornography all over the world. I know, I know there are problems. But that doesn't change the fact that most of the people in the world today who know Jesus know it because there was some kind of outreach from America to a darkened part of the world that didn't know. So you and I have an opportunity to be agents of truly racial uh, reconciliation and the rejection of sexism, the oppression of women. And you don't do that by punishing everybody that ever did it. You go out and you show the world what we're supposed to do. When a black man and a white man join arms and say we're brothers in Christ, it says something to the world. We rise up and we announce to the world the color of his skin makes no difference to me. It's irrelevant. What really matters is he His father is also my father. We've got to quit dividing up into different camps and understand there's only one race. It's the human race. And we are all children of the Most High God. And it's not a battle between the races. It's a battle between light and darkness. The wicked are practiced racism. The righteous do not. It's just that simple. Amen. Stand with me, please. something to say to you today as a man have you allowed yourself to at least adopt some of that attitude that oppresses women 
Just for things in your heart that condescending disrespect. Could God be saying to you today, we need to get that out. We need to get that out of there. It offends me when you look at my daughters that way. And could it be maybe because of the journey you've taken or the culture or grew up in them that, that the darkness of racism is maybe it's not blatant, it's not out there on full display, but just tucked back in the corner of your heart. There is a part of you that looks down on another race. Let's call it what it is. It's sin. It's just simply sin. Jesus, forgive us for the sin that hides in the dark places. Could you go out of this place today and mix it up with people who look different from you and that literally become irrelevant? It doesn't matter at all. That's my brother. That's my sister. It doesn't matter if their skin's a different tone than mine. It's my brother, my sister. That would please our Father very much if we would. Father, I ask you, we have the solution that is breaking our nation apart and dividing us. Help us to be aggressive with it. Help us to be clear about it. Help us to model it. To show the world what unity looks like. Please, sir. Help us walk out your heart in our interactions in our world. And when we have the opportunity and the privilege of being in good, authentic relationships with people who don't look like us, who don't have the same tone of skin that we have, help us, Lord, to get to a place where that does not matter at all. May we model that to our world of how good a God you are, what a loving Father you are. And Father, I ask you now that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as Savior, please give them the faith to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. And in doing so, they're being saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, please let us know so we can help you get started. God bless. See you next week.